Yesterday afternoon, Friday, uh, I went out to the garden about maybe about half past four. Um, I'm needing to do some tidying up now as summer comes to an end. Indeed, I believe the first day of autumn is on Tuesday. So I'm starting to have to clear up and also doing some weeding. And I'm afraid the weeds, whatever the weather's like, continue to grow. And so I was out at the front doing some weeding in the path and attending the front garden. I had my radio on, my old radio, the radio that belonged to my dad from the 1970s. It's, a, it's an antique almost. And it was sitting on top of the wall at the front of the manse with the radio on so that I could listen to the PMUs in the radio, in Radio 4, at 5 o'clock, to hear the headlines and to hear their comment on the headlines. And coming along the road, back from a, a walk that they'd undertaken, were Meg and Robert Wainwright. And I suddenly had one of these déjà vu experiences, I'm sure we've all had that, where you can almost just imagine exactly the same scene, but at a different time and at a different setting. Unfortunately, the different time and the different setting was six months ago, when I was out in the garden, half past four, quarter to five, five o'clock, listening to the radio, hearing all about COVID-19 and all the rest of it, and Robert, and at that time probably Nick, and Meg walked past and we had got into conversation. And it really came home to me, and indeed to that dear couple, Robert and Meg, that six months has passed, and in many ways things aren't that much different. Yes, autumn has arrived, the colours are changing in the trees, um, but the garden still needs tidied up and work done on it. But far more importantly, we're still here six months later, 26 Sundays I've, or Saturdays I've sat in this chair or one of the other chairs here in the study and we've recorded this talk. Who would have thought way back at this time in March six months ago that we would have been still in, maybe not exactly the same situation, but certainly a similar situation today and certainly all that we're hearing on the radio and the television and the media about the spike in cases and everything else and the potential of yet another form of lockdown, perhaps not a complete lockdown, but certainly restrictions and everything else. Yes, well, just as well, we don't know what the future always has in store for us. And in such environment and with such things going on round about us, it would be easy and understandable to think the church continues in lockdown, because that's not the case. We're very thankful that although it's in a limited way, our church has been able to be open for private prayer. The internet is moving on. We are getting forward in that, and we hopefully will be able to do Zoom, at least live from the church on a Sunday morning. And three of our fellowship groups have been meeting in the church, and they've actually all begun, or will be beginning, a series of studies based on the book of Proverbs, on this material that we've used often at our various fellowship groups, the refresh groups, on the book of Proverbs. A very apt study, I would like to think, as we go into the autumn and winter, in the midst of all that's happening around about us, how we need to know the wisdom of God, that godly wisdom, that mind of Christ that he offers to his people in all settings and in all times. And I commend that to you. The house groups, the fellowship groups, rather, they're meeting in the church are actually full now. Um, but if you're interested in becoming part of another study, perhaps on Zoom or in some other format, then do let me know. The church, of course, isn't locked down literally. The doors are open. There are opportunities, quietly and informally, to meet together, to be there during the week. 
but also more importantly, Jesus Christ is still building his church. He said he would build his church and nothing would prevail against it. And we have to hold on to that. That's the exercise of faith, that even in all that's happening round about us and all that's happening in the world globally, God is having his people. He is adding to that number those who are being saved. He is building his church and preparing his church as that bride holy and blameless, without spot and blemish, that bride that will be ready for Jesus Christ when he comes in glory and where there is that tremendous marriage supper of the Lamb that we read about in the book of Revelation. And in the meantime, it's good for us to be reminded, of course, that the church has a purpose and a calling and a mission. Now, I appreciate for some of us listening to this, we might think, well, really, I've got enough on my plate at the moment than to start thinking about things like that. And perhaps some of us, as a result of lockdown and other ways, have mentally, spiritually, emotionally become very shrunk down in the way we think and feel and see things. I can fully understand that, but of course part of the reason why we do this Sunday by Sunday is to help us to break out of that mentality, that lockdown mentality we've spoken about a lot in the past. So I encourage you to open your Bibles or to get them for wherever they are and to turn with me to the book of Ephesians, to the book of Ephesians. And we're going to pick up on some verses that we have looked at in the past, but nonetheless have a particular point for today and the situations we face. From Ephesians chapter 4 from Ephesians chapter 4. And we're going to read the whole section, but we're only going to look at a few verses in that section. Reading from verse 1, we read, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, this is Paul writing, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in, in all. But each one of us, grace has been given, as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow up to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Paul here, of course, is laying down principles that he also mentions in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and in Romans chapter 12 about the Christ, the exalted Christ, the one who is in glory, the one who is power, the one who is sovereignty. And if you don't remember anything else, remember that, that he who is ascended is the one who fills all the heavens and fills the whole universe. That is who we fix our eyes upon, that glorified and exalted Christ, 
But he is the one, Paul tells us here, who gave the apostles, the prophets and the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. And my friends, at any time, at any stage of human history, in any circumstances the church faces, these words, these words of Scripture are true. Christ has given the body, the church, people, ministries, gifts. And the point of them is that we might be built up, that we might grow, so that, as he says, we might all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now, of course, when we talk about the church, being apostolic, the one holy Catholic and apostolic church, one holy universal and apostolic church, we obviously are reminded right away of the apostles. We have spent some time, a few weeks back, looking at those early chapters of the book of Acts, where we see of how these disciples, ordinary men, certainly far from perfect, who had in many ways let Jesus down and let others down and let themselves down, how these ordinary men were transformed and renewed by the power of this Holy Spirit at Pentecost, and that Jesus commissioned them to go and to make disciples, to go and to make him known. And we've read how he started doing that in Jerusalem and the way the church grew there, and then how it began to grow and move from outside of that relatively small confines of Jerusalem out into Judea and then to Samaria. And then we paused at that. We haven't read on the story of how it went to the ends of the earth, at least as far as the eight corners of the Roman Empire. And I hope our hearts were stirred by that story and reminded of how God was at work, the acts of the Holy Spirit. And also how I made the comment that the acts of the Holy Spirit, the book of Acts, the acts of the apostles, doesn't actually have an ending. It's, it's left hanging because in many ways that story, the story of the acts of the apostles, the acts of the Holy Spirit, is still being written, including being written today. And this day and in this generation, it's an ongoing story until that very end when Christ and his church are wed together at the marriage supper of the Lamb things I've already mentioned to you. And so that story is already being written out. So an apostolic church is a story that's still moving on, still growing, still expanding, a church that continues to have that calling of making Jesus known. Now, of course, the record of the apostles, both the record of the life and ministry of Jesus and the Gospels, and the record of the early church, and then the teaching given to the early church, that's contained in the Bible. And so when we speak about an apostolic church, we're speaking about a church that takes seriously what the New Testament has to say, both in terms of what it has to say about Jesus and what it has to say about the principles of the church being born and growing, and also about a whole host of various matters to do with us growing in the faith that Paul talks about here, to do with life and doctrine and, and behaviour. The letters given out to the churches from Peter and from John and from James and the right of the Hebrews and, of course, supremely from Paul are all written to the churches in order to equip them, we're told here, for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. That was the apostolic calling, and we have that record of that. And so an apostolic church takes seriously what the Bible has to say, and we accept this as the word of God. That's taken, I can actually say with confidence that those of you who are listening to that today are probably at least members of my own congregation and hopefully others who are listening to this, we accept that, we, we acknowledge that and we know that to be true and that's, that's, that's tremendous and a great encouragement. But of course, to be apostolic is even more than just that. What, would the, what did the apostles do? Yes, they gave us a written record of the life and ministry of Jesus. Yes, they wrote letters to the churches. But actually, they were supremely church planters. 
There were those who were used by God to establish congregations of his people, people who came to faith in Jesus Christ. That was their job. They did that ministry and then they moved on. Peter did that, and as I say, John, but of course, supremely, the travels of, of Paul, the great missionary journeys of the Apostle Paul that's recorded for us in the book of Acts. And that was their job, to go and establish churches. And although we don't know much about the rest of the apostles, church tradition tells us that other members of that apostolic band went to other parts of the world, down towards Iran and Iraq and perhaps even to India and established ancient churches. Is there. That was the principal practice of the apostles. So, my friends, if we're saying, as I'm sure we are, that we are part of that one holy Catholic and apostolic church, and that we believe that the apostolic tradition is vital to what we know of Jesus, to what we believe and how we live, then being a church, being a gathering of people, being a congregation of God's people that has a heart for growth, that has a heart for church planting, has a heart for seeing the kingdom develop and move into areas which are perhaps neglected or where perhaps there is no longer any active Christian witness, that should be at our heart, at our, at our, our raison d'etre for us being a congregation that is part of that one holy Catholic and apostolic church. And I bring that challenge to us. It's very easy in the present situations to look round, or at least metaphorically look round at our own congregation. And I have to tell you, our own congregation is getting smaller. I could see that long before COVID-19. It's ageing. We thank God for the young people and for other people that we have. But that's a relatively small number compared to the older people, people of my age, and those who are older within the congregation. We're getting older. We're getting smaller. The challenges of getting things done and doing things and providing for the work of God even with our own fellowship, is not going to grow less. Indeed, this COVID-19 has simply speeded up that process and of that, I'm afraid to say, decline. That is the reality. No point saying that's not the case. And it'd be very easy and very understandable for us to suddenly cling on to what we have, to become inward looking, to become in our insecurities and fears more caught up with ourselves than with anybody else, whether that's in the global setting, the world setting, or whether that's within the setting of our own circumstances. And that is a dangerous road to go down, I can assure you. As someone who spent much time, especially in the past, in the United Free Church, going around visiting congregations, and even before that, when I was in the Church of Scotland, one of the signs of a dying church, one of the signs of a church that is bound eventually to close, is that it becomes inward-looking, caught up with itself, maintenance rather than mission. Many of us never remember David Miller, Dr. David Miller, speaking about this in the past. That must not be a road that we go down. We are to be outward looking. So I want to encourage you this morning that we are, perhaps not directly, individually, yourself, but I can assure you through my own involvement in situations in Knightswood, in situations in Burgedy, and also with the possibility, continuing possibility, of perhaps some kind of work in Newton Farm, not far from here. There are areas where churches perhaps need to be planted, or where churches need to be replanted, as in the case of Bergedi, or where already, actually, in case of Knightswood, with your leadership, with a, a, a younger man in his 30s coming alongside, with his family becoming involved there, there's a possibility of a church being re-renewed and, and, and moving on and taking up some of the challenges and potentials of that area. That's all connections that we have, both through me, but also historically, with situation in Bergedi, and also simply geographically with the situation in Newton Farm. Now, I'm not saying that we've all to be involved in church planting. I'm not saying that we should be 
spending all our money and everything else and our time and resources on these other places. But, my friends, I urge you, if we're going to be apostolic, we must have that outward-looking concern and that outward-looking commission. And at least in prayer, if in no other way, be involved in seeking to see churches, you congregations of his people, planted or replanted. That's a road to growth. Inward-looking is a road to death. The Christ gave the apostles an apostolic church. And then he says he gave the prophets. And again, and really much of what I said about the apostles applies to the prophets, the Old Testament and, and, and everything else. And I'm not going to go through all that again. We have the prophetic teaching given to us. Um, and of course, we, we see that in the great prophets of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, but also the less well-known ones of Amos and Joel, Nahum. And we also see the prophetic testimony of Moses in the book of Exodus and in Deuteronomy and in people like David and others, the great shepherd king, and the prophetic ministry that these folk all exercised in Old Testament times. It's very easy, again, looking at that part of the Bible, to take two often really thought of as quite opposing views. One is, probably more akin to our evangelical background, is that the prophets um, supremely spoke of Jesus. They pointed towards the Messiah who was to come, the fulfilment of the prophets. The prophets' word made most sure, and it's really all about that. But there's other people within the wider church, those of our more liberal theology, perhaps we might say, however we understand that, who would say, well, no, the prophetic message was really about social injustice, about societal change, about transformation, about God's concern for the poor and for, the, for those who are on the fringes of society and those who are downtrodden. And, and the challenge of that and, and the picture of restoration and renewal in some kind of way that the prophets brought to God's people. Both are actually true. It's not one or the other. They did point to Jesus Christ as the fulfillment, but they also did speak into their setting and into their time. And again, if we're going to be a prophetic church, a church that's built up by the prophets, by the ministry, it doesn't just mean that we say, oh, the Old Testament is important to us. It actually means we allow the message of the Old Testament to impact on who we are now, just as much as we let the message of the New Testament and of the apostles impact on who we are and what we're doing now. Indeed, for a church to be effective in a contemporary day, I would say it has to be prophetic, not in the same way as the prophets were, in the same ways were not the same as the actual apostles of Jesus, but nonetheless the principles of bringing God's word and applying it into our society, into the situations we face. And as we do that, pointing to Jesus Christ, that has to be at the core of our ministry. Indeed, one could argue that no true preaching is preaching unless it has that prophetic edge. It speaks into the situations we face. Now, that is particularly relevant now. It was understandable when all this crisis broke up way back six months ago that most ministers or servants of God's word were somewhat silent, perhaps. We, we needed time. I've made reference to that. We needed time to reflect and to think. 
it was unfortunate, I think, that some of the leaders of the churches um, were particularly silent and had nothing to say at all. Even a word of encouragement would have been nice from some of them. It is a, an encouragement that perhaps more recently the Archbishop of Canterbury, anyway, has at least spoken once or twice, although, of course, he rarely ever, he, we rarely ever hear what he has to say in the, reported in the media. But he has. He has taken a wee bit more of an initiative, and that's important. But it is a challenge. Let's be honest, people have very real questions about what's going on. And as we go into the autumn and the potential of another lockdown, those questions are not going to go away. Those frustrations are going to actually be expressed in some kind of way. There's a very real concern that people just won't listen to, or at least a lot of people won't listen to lockdown regulations, and that there might even be some forms of civil unrest in some places. That's perhaps a bit gloomy and a bit extreme, but certainly... There are real questions needing to be asked. I could spend hours doing that this morning. I'm not going to. And the church has to be a heart of that. You see, my friends, one of the reasons why many people, especially many younger people, when I say younger, I don't mean children or even teenagers. I mean people in their 20s, 30s and 40s. When many younger people have a little respect for the church, it's because you know, they're so heavenly minded, it's no earthly use. We don't face and we don't, engage with and we don't speak into the real world that's going on round about us. Little wonder that most people who have busy lives and the pressures of life think, well, the church is just for old folk or folk who are emotionally vulnerable or needy. It's a crutch for people who can't manage with life or, 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 or it's irrelevant. It's just some sort of, it floats above six feet above a contradiction. No wonder people have this caricature of the church because we often rarely, both personally or even from a pulpit, speak God's word into the realities of life. If we're going to be a true church of God, if we're going to be effective in the 2020s, yes, we need to be church planting, we need to be looking out, we need to be seeing where there's potentials for new beginnings and fresh starts and, 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 and refreshing and reopening and renewing churches, but also we need to be speaking God's word into these realities. That will be uncomfortable, as it was for the prophets. That will raise up awkward questions as it was for the prophets. It won't necessarily always lead to answers that people find socially or, 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 or culturally acceptable. There are things that need to be challenged in our society. We need to be part of that prophetic ministry if we're going to have a future as a church of God. But lastly, we're called not only to be apostolic, we're not only called to be prophetic, but Paul tells us and reminds us that he also has given the gifts of the gift of evangelists. Now, of course, when we hear that word evangelist, most of us anyway will think about Billy Graham and, and be reminded of his great ministry. And of course, he probably was the greatest evangelist the world has certainly up to now ever seen, speak, having spoken to so many people and being used by God. The, the, the gift of evangelism actually came home to me very much way back in 1991 when he was speaking at Parkhead in, in, in Celtic Park. And I was there with some people, including a lady who was sitting beside me, I've told this story before, who had been brought along by friends and who actually had made it quite obvious before the meeting started that she'd been brought along. She only came along to keep them happy and, and, and she actually wasn't, you know, wasn't really interested. She, she was, I think, a member of a church but never really went and just generally was there to keep folk happy. Not a very likely convert to the gospel. And Billy Green preached. And now I'm not being big-headed here or whatever else, but by that time even, the effects of Parkinson were beginning to be obvious. It was a rather blustering, cold evening. The message was, was fine, but certainly wasn't, you know, wouldn't have blown you away at a human level. 
and yet he preached Christ crucified and risen as the only saviour. And when he gave that appeal to get up out your seat and to come forward, you know what? That woman, she practically fell over me to get onto the passageway to get down into the turf of paradise. That is the gift of evangelism. It's not primarily to do with eloquence, nor is it primarily to do with schemes or patterns. My first experience of schemes or, or ideas or projects is way back as a young man, 1978-79, Burnside Church, when we looked at reappraisal for mission. And that, over these last 40 years, and remember doing Tell It Again, many of us were involved with that in our own church, not that long ago, Tell It Again, where there's been plenty of schemes, plenty of programs, plenty of projects, plenty of great ideas. There's been changes and shifts as to how we should do mission, and, and people have written books and gone in lecture tours and held seminars and, and a whole host of things. There's been a whole, a whole shatterbang of, of, of programs and schemes and, and seminars and everything else. And I'm not saying, please, I'm not saying that all was a waste of time or that it was all irrelevant. Of course not. Nor am I saying that the amount of hours and money spent in this form of outreach or that form of event, and I'm speaking here not just about work with adults, but also with children and young people. The church has spent millions over the last 30 years in ministry with young people, with teenagers, and with young adults. That all of that, of course, was a waste of time. Of course I'm not saying that. But I do have to say we have to ask questions. If we're going to challenge society with questions, we have to ask questions about its fruitfulness. Remember these words of Jesus, and they have stuck in my heart. Jesus said, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you, that you might go and bear fruit fruit that will last. And God has mercifully used these programs, these schemes, these efforts, these campaigns, these holiday clubs, a whole host of things, and God has graciously used these things to draw people to himself. He has undoubtedly done that. But my friends, we need evangelists. Not necessarily Billy Grahams in the contemporary society, but people who, like him, had the gift so that they were able to proclaim Jesus in word and in deed. And they were so anointed for that ministry that people, even the most unlikely souls, like the lady sitting beside me all those years ago, that when they met with Christ, they were drawn to faith and trust in him. I can think of a lady in her own congregation who I would be pretty convinced is the gift of evangelism. She, she, she seemed to be able to get into these conversations with people. Many of us hope that we can manage to twist things round to somehow get that in or else we're terrified by the prospect. We just don't say anything. But she very naturally gets into conversations with people and respond to questions and the things of God are brought up and people are presented with at least something of the claims of Christ in a very natural but also in a very effective and fruit-bearing way. I can think of one person, perhaps there's others. But we need to pray. If we're going to be a church that's going to be effective in the 2020s, we need to be apostolic, we need to be prophetic, and we need God to raise up evangelists. As I say, not necessarily Billy Grahams, but men and women who have that gift. And we see, we recognise that they have a gift, 
because when they speak and when they act and when they minister, people are brought to faith. Might not be the thousands, the tens of thousands, might not even be the hundreds, but they are those who are brought to faith. And a fruit that lasts, I don't just mean some superficial, emotional flash of the pan, stirring of the moment, I mean people who become disciples of Jesus Christ. We need to pray for that. Now, of course, I haven't touched upon pastors and teachers because we automatically think, well, we know what that is. That's perhaps even another story. That's enough for now. We are facing lockdown, perhaps, some forms of restriction. The church itself may face some more forms of restriction, at least for a period. That obviously is a concern for us. But my friends, Jesus Christ hasn't given up. He's still building his church. His purpose that we might be equipped, his desire that we might reach unity in the faith, his intent that we're not tossed about by every wind of teaching, by the cunning and craftiness of people and their deceitful scheming, that we're not tossed about, but rather speaking the truth in love, we will grow and to become in every respect the mature body of him who is head, that is Christ. Those verses still apply to the church, to Park and to our circumstances, September 2020. Let's pray for God's Spirit to do a real work within our congregations, not just at Park, but up and down our land, that we're truly apostolic, that we have a prophetic word to say, and that God raises up and anoints evangelists to proclaim Christ exalted, the one who fills all the heavens and the whole universe, who lifts them up, and therefore fulfills that promise that when Jesus said, that when I am lifted up, I will draw men and women to himself. That is something we can all be praying about, as we go on into these coming weeks and months. Let's pray together. God, our Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for its relevance to our society, to our church, and to our own lives today. I do pray that by your Holy Spirit, you will take your word, and you will sow it into our hearts and minds. Lord, you know that we perhaps find it hard to think outside of the box. We find it hard to think outside of the cultural norms and the, the view of society that we've all been brought up with and, and, and has programmed our mind and our hearts to think in certain ways. And yes, the present crisis perhaps just adds to all of that and we find it easier just to sit and to, and to be concerned with our own interests. Lord, forgive us for that. Challenge our minds. May our minds be transformed as you tell us it should be by the renewing of your spirit. May we have that mind of Christ and may these truths that we've been speaking about this morning will become vibrant truths, vital truths for the life, not just of our own congregation, but for your people, the Church of God, the body of Christ in the land of Scotland and within the nations of the United Kingdom in this day and at this time and for this generation. For Jesus' sake. Amen. <laughs>